Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Max Minute, where we don't have time for long speeches in Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 60, which begins with Arky and the gyro captain deciding to stay with the other compound dwellers, and it ends with Papagallo offering to make a new contract with Max. Happy Friday, Julia. Happy Friday. It is the end of the week. It is also Black Friday, the shopping holiday here in America. And it's not just a shopping holiday, it's also a Fresh Eyes Friday. And this week, those eyes belong to our very own Tom Taylor from the Indiana Jones Minute. Hello. Hey, Tom. Welcome. I'm happy to be here. I was going to wait in line for Black Friday, but uh, I saw the the vicious hordes circling their motorcycles in the rain and and pinning people up on crosses. And I said, nah, I'll go record Road Warrior Minute instead. Yeah, it's a good day not to hang outside the Target. (laughs) No. They're a vicious lot. I don't think the Walmart (laughs) is any better, but... (laughs) No. (laughs) That Target specifically. Oh, that one guy in the hockey mask and the leather straps. Oh. He's there every year. He's got a lock on that target. How many Xboxes do you need? (laughs) Every year. I don't get it. It's the same one. You know, at one point, you almost want to be his kid, but at the other option, it's like, maybe, (laughs) maybe not. Daddy, you're scaring me. Because, you know, he probably made Thanksgiving yesterday very awkward for his family. Right. Yeah. (laughs) They're carving up the turkey and he's off on the side of the room pulling out that leather harness. And they're like, Humongous, can we just sit together as a family? And he's like, you disappoint me. (laughs) (laughs) You have defied me for the last time. I didn't do anything, Dad. (laughs) Nobody gets dessert. (laughs) (laughs) Can I have seconds? Just walk away. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. To say nothing of Uncle Wes, who just... Really? Man. <laughs> Quote, unquote, Uncle Wes. Little cousin feral kid started throwing his butter knife around, and then he yep. just went berserk. Man. you think he would grow out of that, but it's been the same for years now. <laughs> if they would just teach him to read. Nope. That's not happening. <laughs> it's not the case. Anyway, Tom, for people that have never listened to the Indiana Jones Minute, which double shame on them. Really? Come on. Because we had Jerry on earlier and now we've got you. So if they didn't go and listen to the, the Indiana Jones Minute after Jerry was on, come on, folks. What are you doing? He's a nice guy. He should be able to draw you in. Come on. Yeah. So, Tom, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am Tom. I'm, yeah, I'm one of the three hosts of uh, the Indiana Jones Minute podcast where we're doing the same thing. We're, we're, uh, we're, I'm not going to say we're one of the first because there were a bunch before us, but there was a, a big tidal wave of shows that came out like around the time Pete the Retailer from Star Wars Minute said on their Patreon show, hey, if anybody else is interested in doing a show like this, and then all of a sudden there were like 50 or 60 shows and we're part of that wave. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we've, uh, as we record this, we have uh, released all of our Raiders and all of our Temple of Doom episodes, and uh, our sanity is still intact, and we're getting ready to get into Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and we're going to have fun. I am still very excited for The Last Crusade to start up, because out of the three, yes, Raiders is the best, but 
Last Crusade is just my favorite that, yeah. because of Sean Connery. <laughs> that is not an uncommon opinion. We're, I mean, we were talking recently about how, uh, you know, we all had our own favorites. I mean, you kind of have to take Raiders out of it because Raiders is one of the best movies ever made and everything is a pale limitation, yeah. uh, even at sequels. And yeah, it, you, 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 if you ask 10 different people which their favorite sequel is, uh, you will get, well, you'll get two answers, but from the same amount of people. And, uh, you know, there's just as many Temple of Doom diehard fans as there are Last Crusade diehard fans. And yeah, there are a lot of Last Crusade people who like it more than Raiders, which I personally don't understand, but I kind of understand. It's a good movie. I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to Crystal Skull. I, I I think that one is one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> and I cannot wait for that to be analyzed minute by minute. We, uh, we're going to take our time and treat it with the respect <laughs> and due diligence that it deserves. And, Excellent. Uh, I'm very glad to hear it. Yeah, we might all survive. We'll see. You know, <laughs> <Might>. No promises. <laughs> That's uh, going to be tough. We're going to be bloody and bruised <laughs> after that one. Now, you guys haven't only been looking at the Indiana Jones movies. I know for one thing that all of your Patreon supporters get access to your weekend show where you've been talking about Jaws. Is that it? It wasn't a minute by minute thing, but we it was like a long form, you know, I think eight episode. No, it was like 11, ep- 11 episodes. Of us just working through Jaws and talking about Jaws kind of chronologically through the movie. But yeah, not a minute by minute thing, but a long thing. And uh, yeah, we wanted to do an extra show for the Patreon people. And uh, we said, well, we've all got some holes in our Steven Spielberg background. Like Pete hadn't seen Jaws, like like barely at all, but it was like a huge part of me and Jerry's childhood and life uh now we're working on uh close encounters we're gonna do a similar thing with that we don't know how long that's gonna be but it'll be a longer form thing like that so yeah we're we started off thinking like okay we're gonna cover some steven spielberg movies that maybe one or two of us haven't uh had as much knowledge about but beyond that we're also going to branch out to other summer blockbusters of our youth and just other movies we (laughs) i was thinking wow it'd be great to make jerry watch the taking of pelham 123 with robert shaw because he loves Mm -hmm. quinn so much and it'd be great to see jerry's reaction to him as like a completely different but equally awesome character so yeah it's it's all very loosey-goosey but uh yeah we've been covering other movies there oh and just uh this week we released our episode about uh not this week as you listen to this but you know what i mean we have an episode about uh, the first Indiana Jones comic book, issue number one of the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones from 1982. So, yeah, we're covering a bunch of different stuff and having a fun time. And you should check us out over there if nice. you dare. Do you have any other projects that you're currently working on or uh, have in the yeah. pipeline? I, we finished uh, Caddyshack Minute uh, with my friends uh, Mike DiMaria and Dan Lewis. We did that one minute at a time, and I don't think that I'm biased in saying that it's one of the best shows I've ever heard in my life. It is such a good <laughs> podcast. You really should check it. You really don't have to know or love Caddyshack to know and love this movie or this show, rather. We get into a lot of different stuff. The Caddyshack is more of a springboard for our life discussions and on-the-air therapy sessions, and it turned out really great. And we're going to continue that in some way. I think we're going to probably do, like, Christmas Story for the holiday season. Nice. You know, in more of a more bigger chunks. I'm also working on uh, ABC Devo. Nah. With Pete the Retailer from Star Wars Minute, uh, John Engel from Alien Minute, and um, our pal uh, Joe Mazel. And we're working uh, alphabetically through all the Devo songs. You know, our, our bi-weekly show is 
bi-weekly, twice weekly, twice weekly. <laughs> Our twice weekly show covers all the album tracks. And then we have a Patreon show uh, for the weekend where we cover a couple of, uh, you know, B-sides, unreleased stuff you know, deep cut uh, tracks that you wouldn't find on our record. So we're covering the entire Devo catalog, and uh, that's nice. a lot of fun. Now, that is a format that spun off, I think, what was it, A, B, a Beatles, uh, C? Alphabetical. Alphabetical, <laughs> that's what it is. Right, that was Pete the Retailer and Alex Robinson of Star Wars Minute with some of their pals. <clears throat> and uh, so, yeah, I guess Pete is a huge uh, Devo fan as well. And he contacted a bunch of us and said, hey, how about ABC Devo? We said, yes, <laughs> immediately. Nice. Yeah, that seems to be another one of those podcast formats that Pete just got his hands on, started and released <laughs> to the world. Yeah. Because you've got Alphabeticals, you've got ABC Devo. There's a weird alphabet podcast that I listen <laughs> right. to. Yeah. Oh, that one is that one is off the rails very quickly every episode. <laughs> well, it sounds appropriate. As you can imagine. Yeah. That's a lot of Tom Taylor that's out there. Yeah, really? I sound busy. Yeah, I'm a little embarrassed that I haven't listened to more of it because I've been sitting here wallowing in the Indiana Jones minute hiatus with nothing to listen to thinking, oh dear, woe is me. And I'm like, oh, I could be listening to all these other things. That's true. So you can get at least a third of the Indiana Jones experience on these other shows. Yeah, I'll have to remedy that once we're done <laughs> recording for sure but in the meantime we've got a minute to discuss and minute 60 we are at the one hour mark of the road warrior which is always seems like a bit of a milestone reaching one hour into the movie and it starts with Archie whitley's character she is standing there with the gyro captain and she is just having second thoughts about the idea of leaving and the first thing that we hear from her is that she says, I'm not going to leave these people. I'm staying. And then she looks over at the gyro captain and she says, I'm sorry, and scurries off or scampers off or however you want to describe her movement. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that he. I always notice that he, you know, he he as as she's looking at him and letting him down and saying, "I'm sorry, I'm not going." He's he's got a big smile, like, "Hey, everything's cool." And you almost think that that's his actual reaction because he holds it even as she's leaving. But then she puts her stuff down and goes and like joins the group and is is clearly not coming back. And his face, you know, falls and just kind of goes serious. And but then it goes right from that to like. Well, and he kind of rejoins the group and doesn't make any effort to leave on his own, which makes me think, was he only leaving to get away with this girl? I'm sorry, I forget her name. Arky. Oh, she Arky. doesn't have a name. Okay. We call her Arky because that's the actress's name. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I listen to the show, I hear you guys like, where did they get that name? I didn't know that guy had a name. Oh, my God. That's impressive. <laughs> These guys are hardcore. Um <laughs> But I'm glad she didn't have a name and that you made it up. That works perfectly. Um, but yeah, I was wondering if he was just leaving to get away with her. She's a cute girl. He's like, hey, this is my chance. I'm going to, you know, I got a gyrocopter thing. I'm going to use it to my advantage. But then he stays. And so I think, well, okay, is he is he staying because, well, I didn't get to leave with a cute girl? Or is he staying because, well, I know that was the right thing to do anyway. And I was sort of caught up in the idea of like, you know, getting away on a romantic, you know, getaway getting away on a getaway you know it's interesting to think about like why he was trying to leave and why he decides to stay so swiftly julia what do you think i do kind of think he was motivated to leave by getting to leave with this girl mm -hmm. i also agree that he maybe knew under the surface that staying was the right thing it didn't take him long to make that decision after she left right 
He did seem to look back at his gyrocopter and think about it for a moment, but not that long. Mm -hmm. I also liked the visuals. When he's interacting with Arky, he hunches over because he's so much taller than her. He's got to be like a <laughs> foot taller than her. Easily. Yeah. So he hunches over to get on her level and converse with her face to face. And after she leaves, he's still hunched over and he's got this like half smile with those teeth. Oh, those teeth <laughs> still out there yeah. for everybody to see. It's all those dog and food looks, leftovers. Yeah. <laughs> and he seems indecisive while he's in that hunched over position. But then as he makes this decision to do the right thing and stay, he straightens up mm -hmm. and his face gets serious. He mm -hmm. closes his mouth over those horrendous teeth. <laughs> I'm trying not to be judgmental about the teeth because I understand the world they live in. But sure. at the same time, they're just so bad. Yeah. But I like the physical changing when he makes that decision to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. I like in this scene specifically how the gyro captain is not the kind of person to second judge her decision to try and talk her out of it. We talked a lot yesterday in that minute about how he gives her little tugs and tries to get her moving. But when she puts her foot down and says no, then he lets off that he is ultimately a good guy and he's not going to force her to do something that she doesn't want to do. Right. He respects her decision is ultimately what we see here. And Arky Whitley turns to Bruce Spence and she says the words, I'm sorry. And I don't think that she's apologizing to the gyro captain because she did something wrong. She's more apologizing because she knows that he was really looking forward to this and she feels bad that he's going to feel bad. She's more acknowledging his feelings and saying, hey, I know you were looking forward to this and I'm sorry that this isn't going to happen for you, but I need to go with my family. It's not, I did something wrong, it's I'm being empathetic. And I think that's one of the big hallmarks of this character is that she is the empathetic one. Mm -hmm. She apologized to Papa Gallo earlier in this movie because she knew his feelings were hurt. She's apologizing to the gyro captain because his feelings are hurt. She's saying, you know what, feelings are important in this post-apocalypse. There may not be fuel, but there's still, you know, feelings. Yeah. As you were saying that, I was like, oh, yeah, this is sort of like true of, you know, the compound. But is it? I don't. Maybe it's not. Like, I'm trying to think if she is maybe the heart and soul of this group of people. Because everyone, everyone's very all business. And, you know, there, there are human feelings going on. People are upset when people die. People miss other people. They get uh, disappointed when people are going to leave. You know, there's a lot of human emotion going on. But it seems like, I wonder if you... If we took a close, I mean, we're doing this minute by minute, but you know, if we took an even closer look and went back into the whole movie again, <laughs> would she end up being like the one who is showing the most subtle, you know, human caring emotions and like in a moment like this? I don't know. I think yes. We do see an example of somebody else apologizing, the warrior woman, Virginia Hayes' character, mm -hmm. who also doesn't get a name, so we call her Virginia. We see an example of her apologizing, of showing empathy that her decisions, the way she treated Max affected him negatively, that she was so aggressive towards him. Mm -hmm. Apologizing for wanting to just kick, kick him, him out of the compound and murder <laughs> him and yeah. all that other stuff. Right. <laughs> but aside from that, we don't see a lot of empathy or caring about others emotionally. We don't see a lot of that mm -hmm. aside from Arky's character. Yeah. If the Captain Planet rings were distributed to characters in this movie, Arky Whitley's character would get the heart ring. 
she would be the Mati of the group, so to speak, because that's just how she is. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the gyro captain also in his moment of, that we're talking about right now, that his moment of like, well, that didn't work. I guess I'll stick around. Yeah. And he, you, we can tell that he knows that he fully gets why she's staying and he doesn't hold it against her. He's like, well, I tried something. It didn't work. And he, like in the back of my head as we're talking about this, I'm thinking, well, he could be sticking around mostly for the idea of like, well, I'll just keep, you know, trying. I'll keep, you know, trying to get in with her and stuff. And, you know, maybe later on she'll decide to go with me or something. But even if you do think that, that's... You know, he's not like you say, he's not going to, you know, knock her out and stuff her under the gyro <laughs> copter, you know, and like steal her. He's, he's he's you know, she appeals to him. He's into her. He's he might follow her around like a lapdog for a while. But while he's doing that, he's also going to be pitching in and helping with the group. So he's got some, you know, some subtle and uh, significant humanity going on here. Yeah. And he's definitely got an affinity for Arky. You can see it in his eyes, the way he looks at her, the way he talks Ooh. to her. There is an attraction there, and as she says, I'm sorry, and starts to move off, he pats her on the shoulder, and then she's got a little strand of hair hanging down the side of her face, and he kind of gives it a little flick <laughs> as she's running off. So just a playful little flirty touch as she's going. Right. And the scene shifts. We see Arky running along. She puts her bindle down on the table that is just there. And she had a little dog in her arms this entire time that we didn't really <laughs> notice. Yeah. She puts that down. And there's someone that runs by Arky carrying a crossbow and a bunch of just regular bows. That's the warrior woman. And it took me a couple of yeah. viewings. I thought so. I and, was never really sure, but I thought it might be. And as she's running by... The subtitles say, come on, keep it together. So she's running by, laden with weapons, telling Arky, stop fooling around, get back to work. <laughs> Which is exactly why they were sneaking out earlier. Good point. So that someone wouldn't catch them and tell them to just come on, keep it together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That would have been a bad scene. Like once they take off, if, they, if she actually left with him and they took off, like people would be like, are you kidding me? She's just leaving. That's horrible. Oh, and they're taking yeah. their gyrocopter too. That We could have <laughs> used that. Oh my God. What a, that, would, that would really would have been a huge slap in the face to those guys. Yeah. They would have been quite upset. Yeah. So Tom, you mentioned earlier the look that we see on the gyro captain's face as Arky has run off. And this is where we switch to that angle and he... Stands there for a moment, considering the situation, mm -hmm. watching Arky rejoining the family, thinking of his gyrocopter behind him. And it looks to me like he's weighing two options. One option being he flies away now, returns to the lonesome and solitary life of him and his snakes and his gyrocopter with pornography pasted all over the sides. <laughs> Yeah. Or sticking around and becoming part of this family mm -hmm. that Arky Whitley's character is so attached to that she's willing to stick around with them through this dangerous situation. And the way it's timed out, the way the, the shots go, it almost seems like, you know, he watches her go. She puts the dog down and the bundle and everything. And that's when they cut back to him. And that's when his face sort of falls and he gets a little serious. He's like, well, OK, I guess I'm staying. Yeah. So like until he and we see that, see her kind of rejoin the activity the bustle of trying to get ready and everything and this whole group effort like until we see that yeah he's he does definitely seem like well i still got my gyro uh, copter i could just leave i guess i'll just leave but then he sees her he's like well i think i should probably stay that'd be a good thing to do when the options are die alone or die with a family <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> he goes with family yeah because if we've learned anything from the fast and furious movies family is everything, everything. apparently <laughs> yes <laughs> 
And part of pairing off with somebody is making their priorities also your priorities. So if he wants to be with Arky and she wants the compound to be a priority for her, then he needs to make it a priority for him as well. Right. Yeah. And I don't see it as much as his decision to stick around and help the compound as him trying to impress Arky. I see it as him sticking around because he recognizes that this is a group of people that will accept him. Mm hmm. Yeah. And not kick him out first chance they get. Yeah, he keeps yelling to Max, we're partners! You know, like, he's <laughs> he, that, that's important to him. Like, he is, I think, beyond even just being lonely out there with just him and his snakes and his porn copter, he, uh, he wants some sort of, you know, he needs people. He, he, he wants some sort of, you know, either partnership or group. Uh, so, yeah, I th- I'm not surprised that that would finally win out for him. Yeah, he's probably been looking for people to play mahjong with that <laughs> yeah. are not snakes right. <laughs> he spent th- a couple of days up on that ridge playing mahjong with the snakes he mm-hmm. told max about this when they first got to the compound <laughs> but we theorized that playing mahjong with snakes would be incredibly boring because snakes don't have hands right or the ability to play games and the notorious cheaters yeah <laughs> yes the path that we're seeing the captain go on, that he started out on a solitary life and he seemed okay with it. But now that he's presented with a life of inclusion and a life with family, that he decides that that's what he wants and he wants to go along with it. I think that's what, as viewers, we're hoping for Max. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He started out solitary and perfectly happy with it. We want him to be part of a family again. Yeah. We want him to be happy. And that really just doesn't kind of happen. Right. And so we do get to see it, but not for Max, for somebody else. Yeah, he comes close a few times, but yeah, it never really works out, does it? We get a little bit of a black screen here. We get about a second of just black as we transition the shot from over by the gyrocopter to into, what did we refer to it as? The pyramid? The pyramid workshop. Pyramid workshop, (laughs) where Max is there filling up his tanks and... The initial shot we get is above Max's head as the feral child is scooting along some pipes. And it seems to be the perfect little hiding spot for him up there. He's mostly obscured in shadows. Not too many people can see him. And he's just perched up there looking at what's going on down below. And initially, it's just Max filling up his tanks. He's working on the left tank now. He's going to transition over to the right tank later. But he's not alone because Papagallo and the curmudgeon are coming in to talk to him. And we first hear them before we really see them because the curmudgeon is saying, I told you he's leaving. What did I tell you? Look, he's leaving. Yeah. And if there's one thing the curmudgeon loves to do, it's tell people things again that he's told them earlier. He's old. Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't remember that he told them before. He's never met a phrase that he didn't mind repeating ad nauseum. (laughs) That's why he wears the helmet, so it doesn't get worse. (laughs) He doesn't need any more knocks in the head. Uh, Just a quick note about the, the feral kid in the pipes up above Max. From the screenplay, it adds that the kid is softly humming a tune, approximating the first few notes of Happy Birthday. Oh, weird. I love that little addition because it reiterates to us that the feral kid is forming a connection to Max. Mm-hmm. Do we hear that at all in the movie? I can't tell. I don't think we ever hear him humming. Okay. He's being very quiet yeah, I don't think in so. this instance. Yeah. I mean, granted, sometime next week, he's going to be playing the music box, turning the hurdy-gurdy mm-hmm. at some point next week. I don't remember which day specifically, but we're going to hear the music box. We never hear the humming. 
Right, right. Yeah, I feel like the humming would... That's a little too verbal or something. That that, that would... I feel like the... The humming would insist that the feral child is starting to internalize Mm. this object that Max has given him, you know, more so than just possessing it. He'd be more internalizing it and creating another aspect of his character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the movie doesn't seem to want to do that yet. And it would also show him becoming less feral. Yeah. And I think the movie also doesn't want to do that either. Yeah, he can laugh hysterically about having it and be clearly excited and even, you know, sort of vocally excited. But yeah, to actually hum a tune would be a little... Uh... Too sophisticated? Yeah, I was, I was going to say yeah. higher yeah. order of thinking, but no, it's, it's a little rough. <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah, a little too sophisticated, a little too verbal. Mm-hmm. Because it's it, it's... Not to jump to the very end of the movie, but yeah, you know, you find out later that he is not only possible, possibly, it's not only possible for him to be vocal, but it's also possible for him to be very intelligent and a leader. And so that's, uh, I don't think we needed the seeds of that before we hear that at the end of the movie. No, I think they save that reveal for the end just to make it more surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The idea that, wait, we've been listening to the feral child this whole time? Oh, what? <laughs> that kid was shaggy and weird. <laughs> you know what's amazing about the feral child, by the way? This is a slight aside, but okay, I was first introduced to this movie on cable TV at my cousin's house because they had cable before I did. And I would just go to their house and watch tons and tons of stuff that I probably wasn't supposed to watch, including Caddyshack. It's the first place I saw nudity and everything. But anyway... I think my VHS copy of this, I think I had taped off of NBC when they showed it as like, you know, movie, movie of the week or something. And uh, (laughs) after every commercial break, they would come back and say, we now return to the Road Warrior starring Mel Gibson and Emil Minty. (laughs) Like he was second build, according to NBC. Interesting. (laughs) Like it wasn't Papagallo or Wes or the Gyro Captain or anybody. It was it was the kid. And every single time, it's not like they mixed it up. It was every single we now return to (laughs) Warrior starring Emil Minty as Mel Gibson. It was crazy. I did notice uh, with the inclusion of the feral child in this scene, which he doesn't really serve a purpose here yet. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. in, maybe as we finish out the scene on Monday, he will. But anyways, that I can remember either the gyro captain or the feral child has been present in almost every scene so far in the movie. Hmm. There have been a few scattered here and there. But we know that the feral child is telling the story, probably with the help of the uh, the gyro captain. So one of them needs to be present in each scene to be able to tell the story later on. Right. Oh, wow. The whole reason we have this interaction between Papagallo and Max is because of the feral child sitting up in the pipes and shadows. That's crazy. That's huge. I never thought about that before. Yeah, it's sneaky. Because there's very <laughs> little stuff in the movie that, yeah, either the feral child or the gyro captain doesn't witness. One thing that really stood out to me when we see the shot looking up at the feral child half in the shadows is that I don't know if they gave him fake teeth for this movie, but it really looks like they did (laughs) because his lips are kind of puffed out as if he's got his mouth closed over something. Maybe it's just that he's an eight-year-old and he hasn't grown into his big boy teeth or something like that. Yeah, because we see his teeth a few times and they don't seem overly... Yeah exaggerated or fakey or anything do they i think he's in that stage this is gonna sound awful but (laughs) kids kids go through a stage where they just have ugly teeth yeah (laughs) they're either missing a good portion of their teeth or their adult teeth are half grown in or they're grown in and their mouth just isn't big enough for them yet they just go through this phase right and i think of mel minty is in that phase where he just has ugly teeth right now i think you're right yeah and that's not mean to say it's just a fact 
Yep. <laughs> Some kids are bizarre looking. It yeah. could also be that he's just making a face to make a face because he's a child. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> and he doesn't, you know, the, the feral child doesn't have as many communication tools as a typical eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. So he probably uses facial expressions even more than your typical eight-year-old who is great at using facial expressions anyways <laughs> yeah so he's like daredevil you take away one thing and the other things <laughs> are enhanced you take away yes. his speech and his facial that's exactly what i mean yeah yeah <laughs> i know you're poking fun at me but that's exactly what i mean he only uses his teeth for eating and not speaking they just get huge <laughs> yes so as I mentioned before, the curmudgeon and Papagallo have entered the garage and Papagallo is still limping pretty bad. He's got one hand on the curmudgeon's shoulder and he's supporting the rest of his weight on or by putting his hand on the black on black. And he's still got what appears to be a big old bloody wound yeah. on his leg. So whatever Timbo and Derek did to help him out on the wall there, they probably didn't bandage him up as well as they could have because, mm-hmm. I mean, he's not putting a ton of weight on that leg that's pretty fresh though it occurs to me that if spoiler if papagallo didn't die at the end of this movie anyways there's a decent chance he would have died of infection yeah oh sure because they have no medical tools there no i don't think so i kind of feel like most people in this movie are going to die of infection eventually (laughs) (laughs) probably (laughs) yeah I i doubt they have a supply of antibiotics Right. Let's pour some gasoline on that wound. That'll clean it up. Right. <laughs> gasoline. It's the cause and solution to all of life's problems in the wasteland. Right. Exactly. I have a note here that uh, Papa Gallo looks like the love child of Mick Jagger and Michael Gambon. Yes. Yes. That was an excellent <laughs> description. Absolutely. Yeah. It was as a kid. It was always Mick Jagger. I was like, really? I would have to convince myself that it wasn't Mick Jagger. And then in later years, after I discovered Michael Gambon, I'm like, oh, look, there he is. <laughs> when we first got introduced to Mike Preston, the actor who plays Papagallo, we discovered that back in the '60s. He was a singer, and he actually released a couple of albums. Oh, wow. And I think, did we say that the highest up on the billboards he got was with his rendition of I'd Do Anything from the show Oliver? Oh, wow. I do not recall. I know he made the top 100 with something, but I can't remember what it was. Man. Yeah, he's definitely not a Mick Jagger type singer, (laughs) but he has the Mick Jagger type face. Yeah. Absolutely. Gosh, I'm going to be curious to see if I go seek that out or not. (laughs) Because I might but I might not. He's got some goofy songs. I'll I'll tell you that much for okay. sure. What he doesn't have time for are long speeches. As he gets <laughs> to the back of the black on black, he walks up to Max and he says, look, I don't have time for long speeches. I want you to drive the tanker. And it's a shame that he doesn't have time for long speeches because if there's any one thing that Papagallo does well, it's give long speeches. Right. I think so, yeah. And he kind of ends up giving a long speech, doesn't he? Either here or later on, I forget. Yeah, not in, not in this, this minute. minute. No, yeah. If it doesn't happen in this minute, then I don't remember. I'm pretty sure it happens on Monday. On I wouldn't Monday? so much call all that a speech as much as him just poking Max trying to get yeah, a reaction. That's true. I mean, it's not on my page of notes right here because of how I divvy up my notes, but mm-hmm. that's just talking baseball. But Max gives the reaction that he gives on Monday. Papagallo is not pleased yeah. to hear that. And so he kind of goes on the attack 
more so than being amiable to the idea of continuing their relationship. Mm -hmm. Because Papagallo says, I want you to drive the tanker. Max looks at him, says, sorry, we had a contract. I kept my part of the bargain. And Papagallo's like, well, we'll make a new contract. Yeah. Papagallo really wants Max to stick around and drive that truck yeah. because Max has already proved that he knows how to operate that big old rig because he got through the horde the first time. Do you think that Max, has, you know, he's, yeah, you said he's got that line, we, we had a contract and I filled my part of the bargain. Is he sort of throwing that in Papagallo's face from before when he's like, hey, I had a deal with this guy who's about to die that he'd give, you know, I'd give, bring him back here, he'd give me some gas. And Papagallo's like, sorry, you know, your contract died with him. You know, is, is this a little of Max being like, oh, sorry. Contract's done. See ya. Ooh. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I mean, he's going to leave anyway. So like he doesn't, you know, whether or not he's doing it, he still, he still would have said this and he still leave. But I wonder if in that, in the back of his head, he's like, oh, here's your, this is the rule of contracts. Didn't you know? <laughs> Sometimes contracts just end. <laughs> Ooh, I, mm, I don't know if I want to say, yeah, I'm on board with that. Because I feel like it would it would show that Max cares enough to make a dig at Papagallo. And I think Max is just trying to stay so aloof right. with it that he wouldn't invest the energy to take a dig at Papagallo. But at the same time, <laughs> Papagallo took his car and forced him to do this dangerous cannonball run yeah. just to get to this point where Max is back at square one. Right. So it makes a lot of sense for him to be incensed. It's like, yeah, you got to, it, it, depending on which way you go, it's it's whether or not Max was at all affected by another person. Like, did Papagallo get to him in some way? Mm -hmm. Either hurt his feelings or pissed him off. You know, we see that later on that he cares a little bit, that he's got some humanity in him still. But, you know, is is part of that humanity being like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little spiteful here. I'm being a little, you know, nah, <laughs> here's your contract. <laughs> Take that. How do you like it? Yeah, I mean brass tacks max isn't wrong their business is done yeah yeah like when you talk about it business wise they had a deal he delivered the rig he get his car and his gas and then he walk away with those things that he had stolen from him yeah and the character of max is a loner who doesn't want to get attached to things and so it would make sense just as who max is that he would want to leave mm-hmm you get the sense that Papagallo isn't happy with. He's not satisfied with that. Right. And when Papagallo says, we'll make a new contract, you really have to admire his optimism that just making a new contract would work with Max. Yeah. We're <laughs> all businessmen here. Yeah. We'll, we'll do this again. We'll have a new contract. This is fun. I don't want to dwell too much on it as far as jumping ahead to next Monday, but Max is going to say, you've got nothing to offer me. I have all I need right here in the black on black. So what do you have to offer me that I don't already have? And of course, that launches Papagallo into more of a statement here. But the look that Max gives Papagallo after that whole we'll make a new contract thing, oh, it says a lot, <laughs> even if it is only the last tiny little sliver of this minute. Yeah, he's not into it. No, he's not feeling it. <laughs> He's not feeling it at all. So we've pretty much reached to the end of minute 60, and I think this is a good chance for us to take a look back at the week that was and do our end-of-week recap. So we started off on Monday with the mechanic giving Papagallo an estimate of how long it's going to take to fix the rig, which Papagallo immediately halved. <laughs> yeah. The mechanic didn't seem to mind so much. He just said... <laughs> Okay, sure. Yeah. Then we saw Max hop down from the flamethrower and start walking back to his car. 
Yeah, it's a <laughs> between Papagallo and the uh, the mechanic. It's a very uh, Kirk Scotty sort of dynamic. <laughs> it's like, here's what I need. This is the time I need. OK, this is the time you have. All right. I got it. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it's ex- exactly what Julia was thinking. Oh, OK. When we were talking about on Monday, yep. she's like, that sounds like a Star Trek thing. <laughs> <laughs> it totally does. Yeah. <laughs> Why does Scotty or the mechanic even give them the facts of like how long it's going to take? Because, you know, they already know they're going to have not enough time to do it. Right. In that case, they probably overestimate how long it's going to take. Yeah, because they know it's going to get halved. So, you know, if if he gives them the actual estimate, you know, if he knows if he knows how it's going to end up, but he's got like, you know, 12 hours and that gets halved to six, then he's doomed. But if he, if mm-hmm. he gives them 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to think that the mechanic already knows ahead of time how to game Papagallo. Mm-hmm. Like if he knows that Papagallo is just going to cut whatever he says in half. Right. Then he'll just offer up. All right. 24 hours. Yeah. When he's thinking, all I need is 12. Yeah. And Kirk does that to Scotty in, I think it's Star Trek three. He says, have you always multiplied your estimates by a multiple of three? Which is, you know, then Scotty kind of admits it. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's how I, you know, keep my reputation as a miracle worker. I tell you that you, I can do it in like, you know, 90 minutes and you say you need it in 30 minutes and I can do it. Like, <laughs> even though I knew that it was going to take 30 minutes, which is kind of cool, but also kind of spoils the uh the scottiness of it yeah i found an article that was talking about the very analytical way of estimating how long a project is going to take Mm -hmm. and then i also found someone on a forum that was like okay take how much time you think it's going to take double it and add 30 minutes and i'm like oh that's (laughs) so much easier yeah so much easier right you never have enough time so give yourself a ton exactly yeah that's why we pre-record like six weeks ahead of a release. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> it's our salvation. We love the creating way. the illusion that it's actually November 24th, but no, it's October 21st. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh my God. Why am I outside of Target then? I'm way early. Oh my God. So... On Tuesday, Max told the compound dwellers that he had no intention of sticking around. And then later that evening, the Lord Humongous got up on the ridge and he swore vengeance on the compound dwellers and started just torturing and killing his hostages willy-nilly. Yeah. I I feel like you guys started to touch on this in some of the episodes that I've heard. You know, I'm only up to... Okay, I can't tell you what episode I'm up to because that's even weirdly more time warpy and it's not November (laughs) or October. But uh, you're getting at the... uh, I don't know, like the, the sense of right and wrong, I guess, is an easy way to put it. Between like the horde and the compound. And I was sort of thinking about like in this post-apocalyptic wasteland who's got it the easiest or who has the most fulfilled not quite happy but fulfilled life and i'm wondering if it's the horde i don't want to think that it's the horde but i'm thinking like well they are they're a band they're all kind of sick and crazy and they'd turn on each other in a second if they needed to we assume you know they laugh when a guy gets his fingers cut off and stuff they're not the most sensitive bunch but they they have everything they need and if they find something else that they want, they are in a position usually to take it by force. Um, you know, we want to we, we relate more to the compound and the people there because they're wearing white and they're good guys and stuff and they're nice and they have humanity and stuff. Um, but they're they must have a huge stressful life of keeping people like the horde away from what they've got. And they're constantly on the defensive. And they got like Max, who's just a loner. And, and he's probably a little unfulfilled in that way and stuff. Or the jar- I'm just trying to think of like who would have the best life life in this world and and you know watching the horde like now just going berserk and hellscape and everything you don't want to you know side with them or think eh, 
yeah, they got the right idea. They're doing it right. <laughs> they got it all figured out here in this, yeah. in this world. But uh, you'd have to wonder, like, like I wouldn't join them, but, oh, you got to admire they probably sleep well at night in a weird way. I don't know. I don't know if I'm expressing that correctly or if it makes sense. I uh, think I agree. Mm-hmm. They do seem to have the most fulfilling existence out of the various groups and individuals that we see. Yeah. They laugh a lot more than anybody else in the movie. Yeah. They've got that going for them. <laughs> right. I don't know. And they don't seem to be underfed. Right. Or or unhappy in in really any way. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting because we're really not supposed to look at them in any kind of a good light. Mm-hmm. They are right. supposed to be the bad guys. Mm-hmm. I see the raiders, specifically the Lord Humongous's horde, the same way as pirates. Like, sure. think of the, not the pirate movie, not the one from <laughs> 1982 that we keep talking about. Right. No, think of, like, Pirates of the Caribbean. And mm-hmm. we see Lord uh, Captain Barbosa's crew and their pirates and they're going around taking what they want and you see them in the pirate taverns and they're drinking grog and grabbing wenches and it's like okay on the one hand fancy free nihilistic doing whatever they want hedonistic lifestyle on the surface looks fine Mm -hmm. however you've also got you know dudes that are losing eyes and all of them have scurvy and stds out the wazoo yeah and while the life that Elizabeth Swan is living in the governor's mansion may seem restrictive when you look at it through the scope of freedom on the high seas, but she's also got, you know, the the modern amenities of comfort and the protection of the garrison in the port and whatnot. Yeah. And I feel like that's what the compound has. Yeah, but her her privileged lifestyle specifically almost kills her. That was part of how the movie got going. Was that she passed out from her corset being too tight. (laughs) Yeah. Did the French invent the corset? Because I feel like I want to blame that on the French. It sounds like a French word. I don't know why I have the sudden urge to blame something bad happening on the French. French. Hmm. Well, you know. It just seems right somehow. That's fine. Sure. Yeah. What are they going to do about it? Blame the French. But yeah, there's, there's the idea of living free and then there's the idea of building a life it's yeah. living versus having a life right i think that's what we're getting at here mm-hmm. uh, i don't know elizabeth didn't want that life it wasn't making her happy and like yes she appreciated being safe and well fed and well dressed and comfortable she appreciated those things but at the end of the day they weren't enough and she wasn't happy yeah maybe pirates of the caribbean is a bad example because it's only <laughs> after elizabeth joins the pirates that she reaches her true potential like by the end of the third movie isn't she essentially the de facto captain of a pirate ship taken over from chow yun fat's character i haven't seen it but i think so yeah maybe that is a bad example but the idea still stands you have living versus making a life and i think the compound dwellers are building a life yeah they are raising livestock like pigs and chickens and i think they're also trying to grow food they're trying to create resources and go somewhere that they can better themselves yeah they've got civilization yeah i mean we've done the game of thrones comparison before where the horde are the ironborn (laughs) and the compound dwellers are people that live on the coast (laughs) yeah 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 westeros 
That works. I feel like they have stresses on both sides, and I agree with you, Tom. It's very difficult to choose who has it better. Right. And I mean, even if you decide that the, that the you know, the humongous crew has, uh, has it better, or not even has it better, but are just, you know, they've got a less stressful existence or something. They're just kind of like living fancy-free in a way. Uh, you know, you still admire the compound for, yeah, like trying to rebuild something, create something, keep something going for people other than each individual there you know it's a group effort you know yeah you, you kind of get the sense that the horde would just be you know that within the horde like people are probably just like stabbing and killing each other and taking what they want and stuff there's freedom and then there's freedom exactly <laughs> yeah they don't seem like the most savory characters and nope. we got to see that unsavoriness continued into wednesday's episode where we got a continuation of the torture montage mm-hmm which was just, whew, it was a lot. Yeah. That pretty much dominated the first half of the minute, and then the next half of the minute was us focusing on everybody working in the compound, pretty much ignoring what was happening elsewhere. Yeah, and every time, <laughs> my, my main thought from this section is, I'm so glad the dog is still alive. <laughs> I, I, this might be... I'm trying to think of other examples, but this might be one of the best dogs in cinema history. Oh, yes. Because he's just a good dog. He's just a great... He's, he's just a... They don't play him up as a dog. There's no, like, cute cock of the head or anything like that. There's no, like, there's a good boy. There's, like, none of that. There's just, like, he's just an awesome sidekick who's a dog dog is best dog i like him that's a sad part later on but we won't skip ahead uh, yeah we don't have a sad bell like you guys have on indiana jones minute but uh oh you should you, you can borrow ours if you need to for that i you? might have okay. to <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah or maybe the movie supplies its own sad bell in that moment maybe the dog does i don't want to talk about it <laughs> and then, of course, yesterday we got the beginning of the scene between the gyro captain and the captain's girl as they were sneaking away. And then Arky stopped and had her second thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I was a little bummed out the way the minutes fell in this movie that we got a big chunk of the gyro captain and Arky talking in yesterday's minute. And then it wrapped up in today's minute because that wrap up is really the most important part of that scene. Yeah. So I'm glad I was around for that. But it is, it's interesting that you don't see how they got to this point. Like you never see him like coddling up to her or anything or, you know, like, Hey, I got a, well, I mean, he does, I guess he does. He's gives her that look when he's showing the copter to everybody <laughs> and, uh, he kind of gives her an eye or something, but there's no, like, yeah. you don't see how she got to this point. Like, Oh, maybe I'll ditch my entire family and take off with this guy. He does have a gyrocopter. The curmudgeon asks, tell me, Sonny, is this thing hold too? And he leans in looking up at Arky right. and says, possibly. And then she gives him that not even a half smile. Yeah. But, you know, some women just really go for tall men and he is a very tall man. Speaking as a tall man, that's 100% true. <laughs> Across the board. I've experienced that my entire life. I'm happy to say. I'm saying it, so it must be true, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I say, now you just need to get yourself an auto gyro. Yeah. From what I've seen of the videos of people flying these things, they look incredibly fun to use. Oh, yeah. Like, just the physics of it still confuse and astound me. And I've seen so many explanations on how they work. <laughs> yeah. I should understand it, but I still don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like with a little magic thrown in yeah yeah it somehow gets up into the air the only thing i know for sure is that auto gyros don't function the way they do in this movie 
I wouldn't think so. Even having like you know Max, you know, strapped to it later on and stuff, and and like as a as a you know laying out. Like I don't even know how that works. Like I mean, that's basically a chair with blades. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's kind of it. That's kind of the whole thing. Like, where would you feel? Like I don't even know. Does it fit two people? I don't even know. Like that seems strange. <laughs> yeah, it fits two people if one of those people are a mannequin stapled to the side. <laughs> That's the secret. Yep. Yep. Tom, it has been a lot of fun having you on. I'm so glad we got to have another host from the Indiana Jones Minute on. <laughs> That's been my pleasure. This has been awesome. I love this movie. I love this entire series. Um, and uh, your show is awesome. I've been listening to it now. And it's uh, you guys are doing a great job. I'm so glad I was able to come on. Well, thank you. Thank you. So if people want to hear more of you, what is the best way they can go about doing that? Uh, I think they should go to uh, indianajonesminute.com. That's like sort of our launching pad where you can find all of our existing episodes. You can find our Patreon stuff. Um, you can get links to, uh, we got some tea Public stuff going on, some shirts and some things. Um, and we got a group on Facebook, the uh, uh, Indiana Jones Minute and the Listener's Crusade. You can come on there and chat it up with us. Um, uh, you should also check out CaddyshackMinute.com and uh, the Caddyshack Minute listeners hole on Facebook. Um, we're sort of on a weird little hiatus right now, but uh, that whole movie is there for you to enjoy through our eyes and faces. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and ABCDevo.com. And uh, yeah, that's that's all my places. So, Tom, where it's late November, yes, as this is coming out, can you give us a little indication of when you think last crusade minute is going to start up the most encouraging thing i can say is not as soon as you would like (laughs) (laughs) life has uh as you know i'm sure life sometimes intervenes uh when you're trying to do a podcast and uh we've gotten off to a little bit of a slow start but uh we are chugging along now and we are working on it (laughs) we're making it good excellent i'd rather have it be good than have it be rushed there there you go there you go that's our mantra. Right. <laughs> the Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 60 of the Road Warrior. Have a great weekend.